grace, mercy and peace to you from God our Father and our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ. Amen. Our text is the epistle from Romans chapter 6, centering on the last verses in that chapter. Uh, The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Lord, sanctify us in the truth. Your word is truth. Amen. Christian friends, last Sunday, June the 25th, we commemorated the 493rd anniversary of the Lutheran reformers and princes presenting their statement of faith to Emperor Charles V at the Diet, that's a big uh, council meeting, council meeting of Augsburg in southern Germany. It was a warm summer's day in late June that the windows of a great hall and all the windows of the great hall were opened. So the crowd of people standing outside could hear this great confession of faith when the Saxon Chancellor read through the whole confession in German for two hours. Meanwhile, Martin Luther was 250 miles away, holed up in the Coburg Castle because it wasn't safe for him to leave Lutheran territories. There was a price on his head. In 1520, he had been excommunicated from the Catholic Church and in 1521, he was declared an outlaw. So anyone who killed him would get off scot-free. There was a price on Luther's head. His colleague, Philip Melanchthon, took took the lead in writing the Augsburg Confession and negotiating and debating with the Catholic leaders. Last Sunday's readings for the festival of the Augsburg Confession were all about making a good confession as Jesus did before Pontius Pilate and as Paul did before other Roman governors. The motto for the Augsburg Confession comes from Psalm 119, I will speak of your testimonies before kings and shall not be put to shame. This Sunday I'd like to pick up the epistle reading from Romans which ties in beautifully with the Augsburg Confession. I just reread uh, the end of Romans 6, the wages of sin is death but the free gift of God's eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Romans is a wonderful letter. Through studying and teaching Romans, Luther had his evangelical breakthrough, what was called his tower experience when he finally came to understand that God's righteousness didn't mean that God and his son were angry judges bent on condemning us for our sins. So we should hold up Mary and the saints in Christ's place. See Mary as our throne of grace. How wrong, how misplaced was that trust in Mary and praying to Mary and other saints. Thank God, through Romans, Luther came to see God's righteousness as a saving righteousness, a righteousness that's a gift that brings us forgiveness and peace with God. That gospel of peace has brought untold blessings to Christians through the ages, like John Wesley or John and Charles Wesley, his brother. John Wesley, one evening, heard Luther's preface to the Romans Luther's introduction to Romans being read in church in London and felt his heart strangely warmed, as he put it. My heart was strangely warmed. Or like the actor David Suchet, 
I don't know if you watch some of the Agatha Christie uh, detective stories. Uh, Poirot. Anyone know Poirot? And uh, David Suchet plays Poirot, the little Belgian detective. David Suchet was converted to the Christian faith by reading Paul's letter to the Romans. So this morning we'll look, just a little quick Cook's tour through it. Let's look at some of the highlights in this epistle leading up to Romans 8. We see the whole theme of the letter in the first chapter. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God for salvation for everyone who has faith, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. For in the gospel the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. In chapter 2, Paul compares himself, who had been an arrogant Pharisee, compares himself unfavourably with a righteous Gentile like Cornelius. Chapter 3 brings to the, comes to the, we come to the great turning point in the letter. After hearing of God's indictment of each of us for our sins and our shortcomings, Paul opens up the gospel and that's in Romans 3 from 21 on. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there's no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that's in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation Some Bibles have propitiation, some have sacrifice of atonement. Luther's translation was Gnadenstuhl, which means mercy seat. A mercy seat was put forward publicly, not like the old mercy seat that was in the Holy of Holies, but this is Christ, the mercy seat, put forward for the whole world to see as he died on the cross a mercy seat by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. So what becomes of our boasting is excluded. By what kind of law? By law of works? No, but by the law of faith. We hold that a person is justified by faith apart from works of the law. So all glory to God alone for his amazing grace. And Romans 4 holds up Abraham as the great forefather of our faith. What will we say Abraham found? Abraham our forefather. For if Abraham was justified by works, he's something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. That was Abraham's eureka moment. He was like the merchant in Jesus' parable, searching for pearls, and he finds the pearl of great price. Or the man who unexpectedly discovers treasure hidden in a field, his field. We sing in the hymn, Jesus' Priceless Treasure. Think of the miners at Ballarat who had their eureka moments. I found it. It's a Greek expression. Eureka is the Greek word for I have found it. 
far more wonderful, far more joyous as Abraham's discovery of the gospel. And it's just as wonderful and joyous when that gospel reaches our hearts and makes them warm because we know that through faith in Jesus all our sins are taken away. Now could we have Article 4 of the Augsburg Confession up on the screen? This is the great article in the Augsburg Confession. The, it's the heart and soul of the Augsburg Confession. So let's read it together. Our churches teach that people cannot be justified before God by their own strength, merits or works. People are freely justified for Christ's sake through faith when they believe that they are received into favour and that their sins are forgiven for Christ's sake. By his death, Christ made satisfaction for our sins. God counts his faith for righteousness in his sight. Romans, say that too, <laughs> Romans, that's also there <laughs> at the end of Article 4. That wonderful article. It's also, yes, and we've just read it, Romans 5 now. Romans 5, we hear how by being just, this is a sermon with eight parts. Uh, <laughs> I've really broken with the Pastor Ben tradition, haven't I? <laughs> uh, Romans 5, we hear how by being justified, declared righteous through faith, we have peace with God and confident access to God our Father in prayer, 24-7. Paul goes on to contrast Adam with Jesus. Through the one man Adam, sin entered the world and death by sin. Through the one man Jesus Christ, there came abundant grace, grace abounding. John Bunyan wrote a book with that title, Grace Abounding. Where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. Romans 6, Paul asks the question, well, why not remain in sin so that grace may abound even more? Why not increase our stockpile of sin so that God can show his grace and power all the more magnificently by forgiving us? And Paul says, no way, God forbid. Didn't we die to sin in our baptism when our sins were washed away? And remember Romans 6 begins with baptism as all of our Lutheran funerals do. And that's why we began our service with singing um, Roman Man's hymn. Uh, how does it begin? Father welcomes. Yes, Father welcomes. Yes, that's why we began with that hymn. We died to sin in our baptism. Our sins were washed away and we became God's holy children who walk in newness of life. So often Christians make that same mistake. They think like the German poet Heinrich Heine, God will forgive. That's his business doesn't matter how I live, I can do what I like. So Paul tries to knock that idea on the head. He asks again in our text for this morning, what then are we to sin because we're not under law but under grace? And again he replies, by no means, God forbid. But he goes on to say that living a life of sin means being a slave to sin. Paul in this chapter personifies sin. In chapter 6 you can write sin with a capital S. Sin is like a powerful person, a taskmaster, a lord, a king who enslaves people. And the path sin takes us on leads finally to death, eternal death. 
Yes, as Luther said, a human being's like a horse with a rider. Either we have sin and the devil on our back whipping us along, or by grace we have God on our back gently guiding us along the way we should go. And that's the gospel way, the way of becoming obedient in heartfelt faith to the standard of teaching to which we were committed. And we were committed to that in our baptism and then in our confirmation. Set free from sin and become slaves of God, we bear the gentle yoke that Jesus lays on us. His yoke is easy, his burden is light. Chapter 7, a pastor who was in New Zealand for a while and before that he was in Hawaii, um, he wrote a little pamphlet uh, which he entitled, it's, it's based on Romans 7 and 8, entitled it A Walking Civil War. For every Christian is a walking civil war. We have the first fruits of the Spirit, but at the same time we still have our old Adam in us. And it's a daily battle, a walking civil war. The good that I would, I do not. The evil that I would not, that I do. That's in Romans 7. And then we come to chapter 8 where we will wind things up. Chapter 8 begins, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There's free justification, which means no condemnation. These are legal terms, forensic terms. We are justified freely by grace, so there's no condemnation. Wonderful reassuring words to read at the bedside of someone who's seriously ill or dying, words of blessed assurance, especially the last verses of Romans chapter 8. Eureka words for all faithful Christians, no matter what our circumstances. And I'll just read those. This is the last section where Paul winds up his teaching on justification. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge? You can hear the legal words again. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies, who is to condemn. Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God who indeed is interceding for us, who shall separate us from the love of Christ, shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword, as it's written, for your sake we're being killed all the day long, we're regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And now the last two wonderful verses. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And I'll conclude with the benediction from Romans chapter 15. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. Amen.